With just a little over two months to the elections, the FBI says foreign hackers have penetrated state election systems. Yahoo News' chief investigative correspondent Michael Isikoff broke this story, joins us now. Good morning. It's Tech Talk today, episode 258. And actually, <laughs> the name's not Michael. It's Chris. And I'm Angela. Hello, Angela. Foreign hackers. Hacking, hacking, and hacking. Did you hear the headlines about hacking? Well, I got stuck on penetration. (laughs) Of course you did. So episode 258 is full of not just stories about hacking, but all of the interesting tech news since we gathered here last week. And to help us break it all down is our mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Time appropriate greetings. Hello. So, yes, guys, it is true. The FBI says that foreign hackers have penetrated state election systems. The story has developed today, so I don't have a lot of information. I'll be reading more about it soon. But uh, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, Jeff Johnson, uh, chimed in on it a little bit. So the uh, Department of Homeland Security is involved. He said that the uh, public they were not aware of any specific or credible cybersecurity threats to the election at the moment. They don't. Identify the state in question either, but sources familiar with the document say it refers to targeting by suspected foreign hackers of a voter registration database in Arizona and Illinois. In the Illinois case, officials were forced to shut down the entire state's voter registration system for 10 days in late July after the hackers managed to download personal data on up to 200,000 state voters. Mm. Now, here's where we know. Here's how we know it's a state Hacker and Angie, you have a guess which uh, which nation out there might be attacking the United States of America's election system? Well, I I suspect that people are saying Russia. Yes, uh, it is of course Russia because you see the FBI was looking around on uh, hacker forms, quote unquote, and on these hacker forms they saw uh, a uh, IP address posted there. And because this IP address was posted on an underground hacker form, they think, okay, well, that with that right there, that's a Russian IP address. So it must be Russians. And then number two, number two, and this is the big giveaway, they're using some tools they've seen similar Russian hacker forms talk about before. Same tools. Mm. Sounds pr- like pretty damning evidence, don't you say, Mumble Room? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, let's be honest. We all know that uh, that's pretty weak if you're saying, well, the logs show this IP address and this form over here had this IP address, so a.k.a. Russian hackers. Um, and it also seems a little weak to point the, to the tools simply because it's it's pretty common that a lot of the same exploit kits get posted online everywhere and everybody's using the same stuff from even the governments to people that are just going after people to install ransomware. So it doesn't seem like super, super strong evidence, but it is in sort of a chorus of reports recently about a bunch of hacking. Something There is some sort of smoke here, so there must be some fire somewhere. Something's going on. I know. I feel like people are – like the mainstream media is just going to constantly hammer Russia, Russia, even though we know that this can be a distraction or it can be VPN or it could be any number of things that could be throwing yeah. us off. It always seems to me that if, if they're implying – so when you imply a state hacker, do you know what makes a state hacker different than a regular hacker? No. Well, a state-backed hacker is two things. A, it's somebody that's likely on a payroll, so they're being oh, yeah. told okay, to do it. Right. And B, 
it implies that they have a lot more resources available to them. That and probably, an, uh, what is the word, when you're cleared of any kind of wrongdoing. Oh, yeah, like they're a, doing it as part of an assignment or something, so they're not like going to yeah, get like arrested by their local yeah, government. Or, right. Yeah, they're, so they're doing it with, uh, with the approval of the government. Sure. Yeah, that's a, probably a pretty good – and direction of the government is the other, is the other implied – so when you say state-based actor, you're really implying a lot of different things. And what you're implying is a certain level of institutional secrecy that would be uh, de- deriving a project like this. And you're also implying a level of sophistication based on on the type of – so it's a, this type of attack. It's, this, it's X amount of sophistication. And because it's that amount, it must be a state hacker. That's one of the other conclusions they come to. Mm-hmm. Only these really sophisticated ones are state-backed is essentially the logic there. The issue I have with this premise overall is if these are truly state-backed hackers that have tons of resources, lots of knowledge, perhaps entire teams helping them find malware, find zero days, create exploit kits, and then they're going after government institutions in the United States, it seems like somebody operating in those conditions – would likely use either a VPN or they would compromise a machine in the United States and hop from there, or they would use some sort of method to hide their origin. It seems like a basic high school student who goes to basic networking learns this trick. And it, I, I can't quite make the logical connection they seem to be making because if there's these massively sophisticated state hackers, why are they always forgetting this one thing? And it's always the thing. It's always the Russian IP address. So even by now, even if for the last two years we haven't been hearing this excuse, you think by now they would maybe be adapting their techniques to hide their IP addresses, and yet it's not happening. That doesn't square with how an actual military operation would truly operate in the real world, in my estimation. Yeah. So I find I, there is something to these stories, and they keep pinning it on Russia, but there's more going on here. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a lot of these cases, and I, I, this is definitely just me throwing out a little random conspiracy bacon, but it seems entirely possible that these could be just be badly configured, badly, badly managed, badly patched systems that either internal employees are leaking information about because they may be disgruntled or mm-hmm. because they want to raise awareness – or people in their local districts who are a little tech-savvy poke around and find something. And if it's a leak or if it's something embarrassing that shows mismanagement of the network, there's probably a lot of incentive to say, oh, it was the Russians, because you're kind of, you're kind of forfeiting a bit of responsibility there for having a CMS that had a bad plug-in or for having right. a password that was the default. Yeah. You know, it feels a lot like the whole... Um Mexican border stuff and the uh, weed, you know, like just all all of that stuff where where we'll just blame them, create the hysteria, hysteria, and then and then it just stays with people even though it's not actually true. So anybody in the moment want to jump in on this particular story or in regards to attribution before we uh, move on to some uh, happier news? I don't really know your system. Are are these the databases that are also used for the primaries? No, this is more like local state stuff, my understanding at least. Is this like local voter registration stuff for state voting and and things like that is my – I don't know how the two systems are maybe interconnected, but it's not like the the, uh, Hillary Trump uh, 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 election has been compromised by this. Kind of I mean, this has been going on for years, and I've heard inklings of like the voter election office in DC get hacked, and then I can't find a single article for it. 
and it's been years. So I don't know if the American public really cares or if something really is going on here that is nefarious and we should be worried about it. It's really disconcerting that the news just doesn't care about this. Yeah, and I think if you if you check, you will not find uh, very often where the where somebody from the federal government uh, actually specifically attributes Russia. You'll often find experts on the matter and sources familiar with the matter, and you'll hear inferences that imply Russia, but you'll never come out and you'll never hear them really come out and say we have succinctly linked uh, this hacking group at, in Russia to the compromise of the DNC. That has never happened. And so it's interesting to watch that just from that perspective. And maybe eventually Actually, we'll Chris, Yeah. Um, I had a, a question about that. Like, as I put in the uh, the room there, couldn't you be just spoofing your IP as being from Russia? Let's just say you don't like a certain candidate and you are in a different state or just a different city, right? And then you decide you want to sit there and mess them up. So in order to make sure that people don't go looking for you, everyone wants to blame Russia or China or North Korea you simply make sure that, you know, your IP shows that you're coming from Russia or China. Yeah. You know, the people that they're expecting to do something to the great and powerful America because, well, let's face it, America has many enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, really? Just that you, you, don't, you just make sure that you don't think that the, the enemy that they're looking for is actually next door to them or in the next office. I think it's yeah. It's, you would probably most likely be using Tor for that too. Yeah, exactly. It's never been a better time to be a hacker right now because you just do a tiny minimal bit of effort to make it look like you're coming from Russia, and you've covered your tracks because well, we're good. Well, it's Russia, and yeah, investigation over. Like it, yeah, it, never yeah. been a better time to be a domestic hacker. Have at it, everybody, because they're just going to blame it on the Russians anyways. And boy, you can get away with it scot free. Apparently, it's just <laughs> awful. Do you have your uh, internet phone on you by I chance? Do. Well, let's move on then, because this is big news. Do I need to use it? Events are go- event invites. No, no, no. Take it ah. out. Event invites are going out. Angela, ask uh, say to Siri, hold down the Siri button, activate, and say, "See you on the seventh. And then hold up the mic when you when it responds. See you on the seventh. And the eighth, and the ninth, and the tenth. In fact, I'll be here all year. Try it again. See you on the seventh. Nope, it unlocked my phone. <laughs> okay, hold on. See you on the seventh. I can't wait for National Acre and Squash Day either. MMMM. So she's being coy there because uh, they have a special event next Wednesday, September seventh, at ten a.m. And there's a bunch of other responses are uh, be there or be uh, hepagenal. Joe, I'm not quite. Uh, it's an auspicious day. Um, she also says, "Do you remember the seventh day of September?" Uh, da 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 dancing Hep- in September. Heptagonal. Uh, so a couple of different uh, cheeky responses from Siri. We expect to see their iOS 10 released, Mac OS Sierra released, Watch OS 3, which is promising to be a pretty solid update Yay, to your watch. Good. And a new OS for the T- Apple TV. Less weight on the new uh, Apple Watch and MacBook Pro, but some people are hoping. So next Wednesday is the big Apple Day where. Essentially, the Apple News tidal wave will come in right before our show. So we're, we're going to be interested to see. Oh. oh, actually, special announcement. Right. No show next week. Right. We're actually going to try taking Labor Day off for once Woo-hoo. ever in like the entire history of the network. We've never taken Labor Day off. And so to accommodate that, Mike and I are recording an extra quarter radio on Friday yep. at our regular bat time just on the Friday day over at jblive.tv. If you'd like to join us for that. Yeah. Should be fun. And one last Apple story before we uh, jump on. 
Uh, this could be big news next week, and if we're not here to cover it, uh, well, at least we kind of gave you a heads up. This could be coming down the pipe. It looks like the EU might hit Apple with a $19 billion tax bill next week. How? Uh, well, the Financial Times is reporting that the European Commission is expected to rule next week in a three-year-long inquiry looking into Apple's tax arrangements with Ireland. Now, the Obama, the Obama administration is also watching this case with concern and has warned the commission of potential consequences if it rules against Apple and Ireland. Now, they're, they're claiming that Apple and the Irish government came up with a little backdoor deal to make business sweet in uh, sure. Ireland for Apple. Uh, but Tim Cook says it's important for everyone to understand that the allegation made in the EU is that Ireland gave us a special deal. Ireland denies that. The structure we have in place is applicable to everybody. It wasn't something that was done unique to Apple. It's their law. <laughs> and that's Cook's statement so, on the issue. <laughs> but so why are they seeking that much money? Like, is it to... So they're basically thinking that Apple's avoiding taxes by uh, uh, setting up shop over there. The basic oh, controversy at the root of this is people really aren't arguing that Apple should pay more taxes. They're arguing about who they should be paid to. And uh, so there's a tug of war going on between the countries of how you allocate the profits. The way the tax law works in the place you create value is the place where you are taxed. And so because we develop products largely in the United States... Our tax accrues in the United States. I see. So they're paying U.S. taxes. But if if the EU decides that they owe it to Ireland, then it's going to be taken out of the United States. Well, no. Then it's more like instead of Ireland getting their cut, I think that cut would go to the EU. It's actually not made super clear by this particular article. But that is is what I've been able to grok from reading it. Nundrum. Yeah, it is. Jeez. It is. It is. The whole thing is the whole. It's and it's all the, the dollar amounts too are mind boggling. Nineteen yeah. billion dollars. Yeah. Right. Like, well, I can't really comprehend. It's just too much. Where's Victoria Newland when you need her? Should go over there and uh, think, change things up a little bit. And before we go completely off mobile, uh, Nexus smartphones are about to get a nice boost. The the technology on Google, Google's Project Fi. All these words today. Project Fi, it's a Wi-Fi system feature that helps you toggle between your cellular network and Wi-Fi. It's really nice because you can keep connected. You can it'll hand off between Wi-Fi and cellular very smoothly. Start a call on Wi-Fi. You walk out the door, hands off to cellular. Smooth. So you don't use your minutes to make phone calls and stuff. I see. Yeah, um, it's not going to be needed to have a – you won't have to have a subscription to Project Fi. You just have to have a Nexus device to take advantage ah. of this particular feature. Oh, like, like almost all the Nexuses that aren't being uh, updated anymore? Well, the Nexus 4 and 5 are out. But if you have the 5X or the 6 or the 6P, I think it will work. Um, also does not work on the Nexus 7 tablet, I don't believe. But on the 9 and 10 tablets, it might actually work on the tablets too, which is a super cool feature for tablets. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> Everybody hold the tablet. My five just got an update. What's that? My five just got an update. To what? Uh, it was I, probably like a monthly package. Pack, oh yeah, I was gonna say not to end. So that's good. So they're still. And was it the August uh, batch, or did you not notice? Yeah, it was the August one. Oh good. I ho- I wonder how long they keep patching marshmallow for. Wonder what the uh, what is the uh, support life. Android Marshmallow. I'm kind of curious to know what that is. Does anybody know the number off the top of their Bregenogans? I think October or November this year. That's when they say. That's when they stop supporting it. Oh my gosh! There's no that quick answer. Pretty quick. Gosh, that. I, th- I think yes. Oof. Okay. Well, it's it's three years. Well, Rotten, what are you going to do? Or I'm sorry, Michael, what are you going to do after that? Are you going to uh, put Sailfish on there? Do Ubuntu Touch? Uh, put a Cyanogen mod? What's your plan? plan is to get disconnected, I think. 
It's one of those days, Ange. There well, he goes. It was. But uh, actually, I have a. Ooh, cool story, bro. <laughs> nice six as well. I have a six and a five. Oh, okay. All right. He'll be all right then. He's gonna put. He'll. He'll have. He has backup phones. So, Ange, I put the story in here for you. Yes. I wanted to see what you thought. I know you used to be a massive Fitbit fan. And oh so, wow. Do I have to like? Maybe I might use a. What's what? the word? I what? don't know. An expletive. Uh, Fitbits charge to and flex to. I've been announced. Next gen trackers. Yeah. Uh, so there is. They can uh, go dilly themselves. Wow, wow! You got the flex two and the charge two, as no. well as an improved charge HR. You've got uh, better heart nope. rate monitoring in here. G- lets you now use the GPS from your phone to track your walks better. What? Uh, yeah, that's not a new feature. Yeah, they say they say the, the charge two has a new software and tracking feature that the charge HR doesn't have. It's oh, it's that's that model of device. Yeah, okay. Uh, it wasn't prevalent in all the model devices. Yeah, it uh, is on the chart. I had it on the charge. The two new features make use of the charge two's embedded optical heart rate monitor. It can do estimated <laughs> VO two max and relax sensors. Yeah. It you get an oxygen sensing. Let in me this just thing now. for any of you that are considering this. Wow, just don't do it. Whoa, they're the quality of their wristbands are so. Poor that even with just normal use, it will fall apart within six months. So if you decide to do this, just take note of this episode and this day and the time that you listen to this. If you're buying one six months from now, I guarantee you'll be like, oh, crap, Ange was right. So how about this? The Charge 2's bands are now interchangeable, so you can swap the silicone out for active bands, which are more fashionable, like leather ones, jewelry bands, etc. Well, that is good because the thing... the the more expensive models of Fitbit have not allowed interchangeable bands. It was just the the, and I think the, the simpler most expensive one, one still the, doesn't. The most the expensive, no, yeah, yeah. The, H, the charge, the charge, and the charge. Uh, two. No, the no, there's the yeah. Uh, no, there's another one. I'm not familiar with the yeah, with their right. lines. But well, yeah. anyway, I had the charge. I and yeah. then I had whatever one was before that. But um, yeah, I, I'm, called, I I'm thinking of their Surge Fitness Watch. Sorry to interrupt, oh, but the Surge Fitness Watch. I called in on a warranty. On mine because it fell apart so fast. And even though I was out of warranty, they sent a replacement. I gave it to that Jenny. And literally, it, she's been wearing it for about six months. And the band is doing the exact same thing that it did to me. And I thought that maybe it was because my skin has always been kind of acidic. Um, but nope, she uses it with normal use. And it is just falling apart. Hmm. So. All right. I I felt, I, I, I kind of feel like it might be. See, I think I'm other. I feel the other way. I think if they get the band sorted out, or they have third party bands, I think I might prefer this over an actual watch. Yeah. Side note: battery life, tracking, fitness tracking, sleep tracking, all better on these things, and that's my core feature that I want. So remember how when you got my Apple Watch, um, you got me the sports band, which is good because I'm allergic to like every other band, but I hate white. It shows dirt and and stuff. You know, like it's just discolored. They have lots of sports bands. I know. I know. I was going to go buy one. I was going to get a black one, right? Because that's what I'd like. Oh, you should get blue. And then I realized leopard. Oh, they have leopard? Well, no. Apple themselves doesn't have leopard. But if you go to Amazon and you search for leopard um, Apple Watch Band, there are there are leopard ones. But they all have stainless steel or something I'm allergic to. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, I will be buying a black band soon. I kind of, you know, having spent some time with Android Wear, Apple Watch, and now back on Android Wear... I, I, I don't need another thing that gives me notifications. Yeah, I do, you don't. I do like that when I'm using my watch, I don't have things ding, like my phone doesn't make noise. 
that's nice because my watch just buzzes on my wrist. And that's so it's a preferred way to get the notification. Yeah, but I've seen you throw your watch uh, more than a couple times in the oh. last couple months. Well, I don't. I just toss it gently. <laughs> uh-huh, I toss uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. I toss it. Yeah. Uh, but I see, again, with, with a fitness band, I, if I could still get the step tracking, if I could get the sleep tracking, that stuff. Yeah. That's really – and set yeah, like I six days, five days. Fitbit. And that's one thing I don't like about the Apple Watch is that you can't wear it at night to, to track any kind of that thing. And I I really like that. But then again, I've been having a lot more insomnia lately. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the thing about the Fitbit, there was uh, you and your friend there, um, Angela. Mm-hmm. This is pretty much another example of planned obsolescence. You know, the, these companies made these products and so that they'll be obsolete in one way or another. Yep. You know, and like within a few months or so, maybe not even that in the case of some things like shoes and, you know, and they want you to spend your money to get the same brand in that, you know? Yeah, that's yeah, the but point. It crazy. does feel like that People a bit. get really it, discontent fast, you know? Like I went through like what, four Fitbits and it just, it yeah, wasn't it's good. It's kind of like a, it's, yeah. At this point, it's kind of like a necessary evil, I guess. Hmm. I mean, if that's how you want to put it. Yeah, I guess for economies of scale for them. I've, I think I've had this for two years now, though. Yeah, and it's held up. It really has. Yeah. So, has it been two years? At least been a year and a half, right? Yeah. Hmm. At least, yeah. Damn, that is actually pretty good for you, especially I for know. how you chew through stuff like that. I know. I yeah. know. It's, uh, yeah. 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 I, and uh, uh, Hadia has mine. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Holds up for her too, and you know she uses the hell out of the fitness tracking stuff. Mm-hmm. You have All right. Band? Um, if uh-huh. I knew where the box was, oh, okay. I might. It's a smaller one, which might work for you. So, speaking of sort of necessary evils, I guess regulations around drones are necessary evils. I'm never a big regulation person, yeah. but you know I've talked to pilots about it, and they are super serious about this. So, new drones are taking effect uh, for anything under. 55 pounds, it's classified as a professional aircraft, I guess. The first detailed U.S. rules for flights of small commercial drones, that's the key word there, goes into effect on Monday, including nationwide licensing requirements for pilots and a ban on nighttime operations. But the long-awaited move won't satisfy pent-up demand for more complex uses of an unmanned aircraft, especially at higher altitudes and beyond the site of operators. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that. Uh, or approval of arrival vehicles substantially heavier than 55 pounds, which is not covered by the regulations. So that is it. That point there about um, not, you know, being able to fly it outside your line of sight, it is not hard to quickly lose a yeah. drone in the sky. The, the thing can move at 30, mine, my, my, my Phantom 3 that we use for production can move at 35 miles per hour. And, yeah. it, and boom, it was gone one day. I was out, uh, we were, uh, Boy, I could use that footage in the rover log, too. We were on our way out to pick up uh, uh, ham, and we were learning how to use the thing for Linux Fest. And so we took it out uh, to this big, big open field because we wanted to learn before we took it to the Bellingham Technical College. Which is College. great because, like, if you, if you, like, dropped it somewhere where you couldn't get it, like, yeah. oh, man. Yeah, so. I bet it's nerve-wracking to drive it any time. Yeah, and you're looking on the screen out in the sunlight, which is hard on your, on your especially on the Nexus devices. Anyways, the drone just. I, I, I held on the button long or something, and boom, and it was gone towards the sun, and I just completely couldn't see it. Oh, it was wow. gone. It was yeah. 100% gone because yeah. the sun was yeah. – it was rising sunlight, and yeah. it was just super bright. Huh. Uh, but the things have a return to home button. So you hit that button, and it, it uses GPS to come back from where it launched automatically. Oh, good. And, yeah. and it can detect 
that a barrier, like if a building was in the way? Or no, okay. no, not the three. Um, was it in episode last um, four hundred that yeah. you had the uh, drone footage? Was it was that? our. It was. It was either the tenth anniversary. Yeah, it was. I think it was the tenth oh, oh, where we yeah. did the wireless ISP right. visit. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't four hundred, but anyway, that's what we really. If you want to see, you had some extra footage in that where you where you where it hit a tree. And it We're, fell, and you watch it fall. It's it's pretty great. Yeah, so that was. Go look up the tenth anniversary. It was in June. Um, Rakaipedia will probably. Put I remember the show notes when that happened. In the, um, oh my gosh. Chat room. Yeah. And it was funny. I don't know if uh, I don't know if I don't think this was in the outtakes, but the guy that we were there with. Mm-hmm. Is a drone racing enthusiast? Ah, wow! <laughs> yeah. So, How do you race a drone? Oh, there are race drones. There are race drones for sure. Yeah, yeah, big ones. And uh, let me tell you something. It was uh, he. He was right on it. He was Johnny on the spot. But it was kind of embarrassing because this guy, you know, here he is a professional. You know what? I found it. I should play it, shouldn't I? I should play it because I have it right here. Okay. Because uh, it's, so it's so great. It's so great. These were these were part of the overall outtakes. The, the encoding might be a little wonky because VLC has been weird on this machine, but I'll I'll play a bit. I don't really encrypt, so I'm not 100 percent sure on that one. That's unprofessional. <laughs> That's unprofessional. So Eric, so there we are flying around one of the towers they use for the wireless ISP. Looks like a looks like a professional shot, right? And then uh, you can start to hear the drone motors and trees. Oh, <laughs> there it goes. That falls all the way down. The thing is, is the motors and the fans kept running, and so we could hear it struggling from far Some away. Minor detour here. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the drone operator forgets about trees, so <laughs> the drone took a bit of a spill. We're gonna go see if we can recover it and get the SD card. No, it got all no. scratched up. Oh my god, look, look, looks so much foilage. Like, yeah. and he went past it. Feeling horribly bad about dropping the drone and not enjoying but the guy we're there with is already way up the hill. That's the drone. The propeller is still going. Yeah, I told you it's still going. And I just had to push through. Oh my It's gosh. trying so hard. <laughs> and he's, he's, the guy's, the guy's now got it up in the air at this point and he rips the battery out of it and it goes silent. Did you find it? Just kind of have to bust your way through. You can hear how thick that foliage What's is. What's the damage? It's all in one piece. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> he was clever to pull the battery out right away. Wow. Some epic footage there. That is <laughs> that's the best kind of outtake ever. <laughs> There it goes. Yeah, that was... Uh, so, yeah, we... And that was... We didn't want that to happen at the Bellingham Technical College. Um, yeah. Of course, the embarrassing thing is that was after we learned to fly for Bellingham Technical College. But that's, a, that's another story. <laughs> so maybe there should be some regulations. I don't know. Who am I to say? What do I know? Anyway, so that's going into effect as of today. And um, I look forward to having an updated conversation with pilots and see what they think about the new rules. Did you hear about the big news, though? I mean, this is really, like, intergalactically big news, and just as big as it gets, SETI. You remember SETI? The no. search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which yes. uses uh, distributed computing to look yeah. at radio signals from space, has observed a strong signal that may originate from a sun-like star. The star is located 95 light-years from Earth, 
Wow. And has at least one confirmed planet. Astronomers affiliated with the search for extraterrestrial intelligence have detected a strong signal in the direction of HD, your favorite one, Edge, HD uh, 164.595, and of, as you are always talking about that one, yeah. 95 light years from Earth. The observation was made with the Ratton 600 radio telescope in Zelikachawakaya. I'm not kidding you. It's wow. in southern Russia. Yeah. Now, ours uh, wanted to get more information about this because this seems like a pretty big claim. So they contacted Nif- Nick Stunsonzeff at Texas uh, A&M University Astronomer. I don't really know if that's I know. how you say yep. his last name, but <laughs> Stunsonzeff is apparently how you say it. Uh, for insights into what the uh, signal at 11 gigahertz might have been if it were not alien, because that's always a possibility. He said if this were a real astronomical source, it would be rather strange, he told ours. Although there are mysterious high-energy astronomical phenomenon called fast radio bursts, that are seen at a few gigahertz, but they usually only last about 10 milliseconds or so. And this event lasted much longer. Unfortunately, he said there's no information given about the strength of the signal, um, which is kind of a function of frequency. He added it would be not, he would not be surprised if the signal was just simply due to a terrestrial origin, something else that was bouncing back, uh, that was observed in part of the radio spectrum used by the military, since God knows who or what broadcasts at 11 gigahertz. And it would not be out of the question that some sort of bursting communication is done between ground stations and satellites. I would follow it if I were an, if I were an astronomer, astronomer, but I also would not hype the fact uh, that it may be a steady signal given the significant chance it's really just something military. <laughs> Which is kind of a buzzkill at the end because it starts good. It's got, a, it's got like something that's like our sun. There's a planet over there. We got a radio signal. SETI, which everybody loves SETI. So I choose to believe yeah, yeah, I choose to believe. And Mumble Room, I say, take Ombridge with me, and we choose to believe there is somebody contacting. Maybe they're trying to download podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's Mork from Ork. That's pretty much all that needs to be said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be a natural cosmic event, too. We never, never really know. The only thing we can be certain of is that we have another Kickstarter of the week. <laughs> so this one is technologically fascinating to me. It's not necessarily the very first thing to do this. It may be one of the most productized things to do it. And it seems to be answering a hole in a, or what you could say, a gap in powerful machines created by Apple. It's called the Wolf, and you can supercharge your laptop. And it actually would work with anything, I believe, that has Thunderbolt. These are some of today's top-of-the-line laptops. Built with the most premium components and known for their iconic, sleek design, people expect to use these laptops for everything. Professional work, communication, leisure. But I can't play any of the latest games on my laptop. And I can't use the Oculus Rift. And I can't handle my design and video projects. Hi, I'm Dino, and I love my laptop, but it's just not powerful enough. I'm told that if I want a laptop, I have to sacrifice performance for portability. So to get the performance I need, I have to either buy an expensive desktop computer or build my own. I can buy an external hard drive to increase the storage of my laptop, so why can't I buy something that I just plug in to increase its performance as well? That's why we've created The Wolf, the no-hassle solution that turns your laptop into a mobile powerhouse. Plug in, power up, and do all the gaming, graphic design, and other professional work on the device you already own. You never have to buy a desktop again. The core of The Wolf is powered by a professional desktop-level graphics card, giving you up to 10 times the graphical computing speed of today's typical consumer laptops. Bidirectional data flows allow for both external and internal display, and the sturdy construction and ergonomic design of the central housing are optimized for both thermal dissipation and portability. 
The Wolf brings an entirely new set of possibilities and applications to laptop users. High-speed rendering, professional-level 3D modeling and graphic design, hardware-accelerated programming, all things that until now would force you to purchase a desktop. And of course, the Wolf can run all the latest AAA games at a level that completely outperforms the Xbox One, PS4, and even most desktops. But what we're most excited about is the fact that the Wolf lets you use the HTC Vive and Oculus Rift on your MacBook, and we're the first product in the world that can do that. We are incredibly proud to be the ones that let you finally experience VR at an affordable price. We've been developing the Wolf for over a year at Harvard's Innovation Lab in Cambridge. After countless iterations, we're finally ready to deliver a product that we really think you're going to love, and one that we've confirmed we can produce at scale. As gamers, designers, and programmers, the Wolf has already improved our lives dramatically, and we want to share that feeling with everyone. You can breathe life into your old computer or supercharge your new one. The Wolf enhances productivity, development, and entertainment for everyone on both Windows and Mac OS. We want to be the guys to bridge the performance gap and bring VR and game developers to every platform. And with your help, we can make that happen. So the idea here, right, is uh, interesting because you could upgrade something like an old MacBook that you have sitting around or a laptop that has Thunderbolt that's two, three years old, and generally this the SSD and the CPU are still plenty fast. But the one thing that does definitely start to lag behind is the graphics. They're not the first to do this. Uh, Razer has the Razer Core that is out there. It does something like this. It also costs about $600 to buy it. What's this going for? Well, it depends on what you pledge because you can get in at five or ten dollars. <laughs> but well, that uh, doesn't give you a unit. Though. No, you can get the enclosure, uh, the power supply, the Thunderbolt cable, also a PCIe card if you don't have a MacBook, uh, and the Thunderbolt cable itself is usually pretty expensive. You can just get all that and add your own graphics card for two hundred and sixty nine dollars, hmm. which actually is kind of reasonable. This all it seems like a great idea. Um, at my previous job, there were a lot of engineers that they would give them. Uh, computers that couldn't handle the processing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. they had different tiers of laptops that they'd buy for each, you know, depending on what position you're in. But the engineers constantly had had trouble with their uh, their whatever program they use. I forget. The like AutoCADs and whatnots out yeah. there that use GPU rendering. And yeah. that's kind of a big thing that would really kind of be a nice boost. Um, I, I, I also would like a computer. I like the idea of something. If, if you externalize the GPU, assuming the interconnect is fast enough, then what you do is you enable that laptop to be really thin, really lightweight, much better battery. You could do all Intel parts for this graphics. You something that gets six, seven hours of battery life, and then you hook up a Thunderbolt cable, and now you have a GTX 1080 or 980 graphics performance that is maybe not as fast as something on the PCI 16X slot, but it's probably good enough to do computation and play a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I find the, that interesting. I like their um, the logo. You know, it's. It looks like it could very easily be an Apple product. What do you think about the name, though? The Wolf. I mean, Wolf. Uh, yeah. um, well, I I was hoping that you would call it Wolfie, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it has an e at the end for those that are listening. If this is called the Wolf, then one. Then what would a group of these things be called? A Wolf Pack? Well, so it's interesting you say that because they actually say. Uh, the number of wolves that you can have is only limited by the number of Thunderbolt ports you have. So, like, ah. the, Mac, the MacBook Pro has, I, I think, I'm not sure, but I think it has 
two. My my 2013 MacBook Pro has two Thunderbolt ports on it. I actually, I just realized I have a 2013 MacBook Pro, uh, 15 inch. I've I've been loving it because I put Linux on there so I could play No Man's Sky. But it has like a GTX 700 something in there, and it, I have to turn everything down. But it works. It's a dedicated uh-huh. GPU. It works, and it supports OpenGL 4.5, which is what I need. This though. I don't know if it, I doubt it would work with Linux, but if I could keep that same, because I don't want to go buy another MacBook. Right. Well, but if, if I could get a little $260, box. Is it really exclusionary to Linux if it says that it's it works for Apple and Microsoft? And, and you know, like, isn't it possible to tweak it? Like, what is it that prevents it from also then being for Linux? Or are they just not educated and know that there's another operating system out there? Like, how does that work? Well, um, is that complicated? No, it's probably it just comes down to if there's a standard way to do this and if well, they're using that or if they've engineered their own solution that requires very specialized software drivers. Right, I was going to say, is it because of software? Because hardware, I mean, it's just another hardware device plugged into the computer. Right, and specifically with Thunderbolt, uh, it shows up as something on the PCI bus. So it just looks like it's on the same bus that all the stuff in your motherboard's on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, if the, in theory, if Linux had the drivers to make this work, it would work just fine under Linux. So it's possible. All right, somebody do that. Yeah, WW, you yes, wanted to add something? Definitely. Yeah, this seems pretty competitive. I mean, the Recon Link, the Razor Core, and that's four ninety nine, and this is two sixty nine for just the enclosure and uh, stuff that you can build yourself. If you want it all put together, it seems like the price hmm. is three ninety nine or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is actually a potential buy. I, I don't think it, it's a mandatory yes for this, but I think it's definitely an option for those who want something for Mac or who don't want to spend more money on existing ones that cost like well, the, at least in the case of the Razer Core, it does work on other systems, and it works with in the case of the Razer Core. It works with other cards too. Like uh, Linus Tech Tips did a test where they put capture cards in there, and that really gets me excited. If I could have a laptop with an external box that could have a couple of HDMI capture cards in there, we're talking this is serious business now. Um, so I, uh, also, I'm, I love the Thunderbolt external enclosure just for other uses. Go ahead. Also, the advantage is Razer already has their product out, so That's you don't the have thing. to wait on a Kickstarter. Right. So. But it does seem like a solid concept. Like, I think yeah, as absolutely. A, which, yeah, okay. So I think as a group, we kind of give it the nod yeah. to, yeah. Uh, all right. Yes, I would buy it. Definitely. Oh, it sounds great. like a great idea. Now, this is three ninety nine price, including the like, the, if that includes the G, the GPU, what kind of GPU does that include? It's a GTX nine fifty. Um, okay, so those are like one hundred and twenty dollars, like yeah. Themselves. But you know what? It's phenomenally better than anything available for the MacBook right now. So it's in terms of MacBook upgrade, it is a big upgrade for a MacBook. Darn, you know that's one more thing that that could potentially influence people to still bring their MacBooks to Linux Fest. You know, <laughs> talk talk about how desperate the MacBook users are to just get better graphics performance right? now. Like, step up, Apple, for God's sakes, build yeah, it in. No kidding. System 76 is shipping the new Oryx Pro with the GTX 1060 or something in there. Like, it's a 10 graph, it's a 10 series graphics card. And it's just, it's a monster. Holy S. You know what? This is a good, good point uh, to mention Linux Action Show yesterday. If you no. haven't watched it yet, go watch it because yeah. there is a... Announcement. Cool announcement. In Speaking it, of them, yeah. from Ryan Sipes. That's true. That's true. Uh, and can you manually upgrade in the future, uh, ARM? I would think so. I would just yeah, think I would you, imagine the so. only problem with the enclosure would be if there's any thermal limits because it's a, it's a oh, small, yeah. it's much smaller than the Razer Core. But that also makes it more portable. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, this is pretty I've neat. I've seen um, Rikai in the chat room, uh, Rikai Chu uh, asking about 
uh, the yeah, they have benchmarks cooling and that, and the real world yeah. benchmarks. They, have they some... didn't really mention that. Benchmarks are tough. This is not going to be. I don't think this is going to be a massive frame rate buster, simply because you have the limitations of Thunderbolt two or three, which is which is I th- I think around PCI X eight speeds and graphics cards are usually in sixteen X slots, so you're you're just inherently going to have less throughput. But I don't know if that matters as much, especially in AutoCAD, Final Cut, After Effects type workflows where you're doing GPU computation, which is definitely where this thing would be. Um, people would be you know, pretty justified in spending some money to be able to do something like that. If you could get a box like this that made you know, AutoCAD run or, uh, or After Effects run phenomenally better on your MacBook, well, that's going to translate into real-world value there yeah. or on any machine. And I've seen tests with the same things on ThinkPads and, and other, other devices that have Thunderbolt connections, in, including, um, um, I think it was Razer laptops. So it's a, it's a cool idea. All right. You know what else hey, is? A, yeah, go ahead. Um, I was actually wondering, because I was sitting there looking about, like, you know, Thunderbolt cards. If I was going to say install one on my uh, PC over here and stuff. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, aren't there a lot of people who complain about, say, Mac products in general not being able to just upgrade them on their own? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then why would you just limit yourself, now that I'm thinking about this, to just using it specifically for a notebook? What happens if you have a desktop computer yeah. and, well, you can't exactly update it because, well, it's Apple. An iMac. You get this an thing, iMac. And you stick in, uh, say, like a 1080. Or a Mac a Mini. Sudden, what have... about a Mac Mini? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Because a Mac Mini, you don't even have the room for it. It's what too small. What about a Nook? Yeah. Well, this is what, actually, seriously, this is what it's, I, I really, I was super excited when Intel announced Thunderbolt. It has some security issues because you're right there on the bus, but at the same time, you're right there on the bus and you can do real genuine external PCI graphics cards and computational. I mean, I'm very excited about it. I'm more excited at the capture card because I'm, I'm, I would really like to build a, a laptop-based full uh, capture ingest system for Lady Jupiter where I could just have a little box and bring all the stuff in and then one card goes to the laptop. It'd really be, it'd really be something. Uh, and the NUC is another great example. Yeah, the NUC would be a great one. Yeah, you had me at NUC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and it makes, again, it makes something like... Uh, uh, for people who have myself, where 3D graphics becomes super important for a certain percentage of my time, and then 80% of my time, I don't need a high-end graphics card. Mm-hmm. That's, that'd be pretty great. You know what I need 100% of the time? Patreon support. Patreon support at patreon.com slash today. So we've launched User Air since uh, I think our last Tech Talk aired, yes. a brand new show, the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. Uh, we'd love to see uh, your support for that show, too, at patreon.com slash today. This isn't a patron for this show specifically, the Tech Talk Today show. It's for all of the shows, and we do Tech Talk Today as a thank you, ad-free, as part of a thank you for our patrons. It's something we do for everybody, and it's sort of a way to, a way to raise awareness about it. We also have a bunch of exclusives that we release, release for our patrons, like full live streams of some of our shows, swag for swag-level members, mm-hmm. which may be getting an opening soon. Yes. We may open up a couple of more slots to the Swag Club, which is limited to 25 people right now. We may bracket that up a couple more. We'll let you know soon. I think we'll uh, probably have something for you soon, right? Yeah. 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 Probably not next week, since we won't be here next week, but close. Uh, so patreon.com slash today. And once you sign up, you get access to all of the past posts, which is like 90 patron exclusive items at this point or damn close to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. And it's a great way to say thank you. Keep us going. Keep our attention pointed at our audience. That's what's great about crowdfunding is we think about those patron numbers and not other things and not getting distracted by other things. 
So thank you, everybody. Patreon.com slash daddy. 600. Wow, we're super close to 700. If anybody listening wants to push us over. That would be great. That'd be amazing. Also, if you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com forward slash stickers, I just put up three new stickers. And I'll tell you what. They are probably my top, like my favorite. I think you should bump up the stickers all together. I think you should bump up this new BSC now one above the other one because you yeah, I will the fold. I know, and it's um, it's way too big. It's not that big, (laughs) you know. But yeah, so we have the Jupiter Broadcasting Red Rocket. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want a red rocket? I want one on their laptop. I want two. I do. I want two on both sides. Like, yeah. A, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and then the Unfilter 200 sticker, which uh, for the Unfilter Swag Level Patreon people, those will be going out to you this week. And then a uh, second BSD Now sticker, which is actually die cut. So we have the square one with the you know the purple background with the mic, which the is which now is mic. classy looking. It is classy, and it's it looks great on a laptop. However, so does a die cut one. It might fit in between your existing stickers a little better. Die cut ones also can go like on the back of a smartphone case, and you don't have to necessarily worry about it being straight. Right, that's the problem with square. So it's die cut now, and um, those are available. That's true. You can go at a at a little bit of a of an angle, and yeah. it looks like it was intentional. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that rocket also would go great on the back of. Uh, a phone. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't gotten yours, get it now. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers. Also, I still love that rounded last logo. I love a rounded sticker. I know. I know. We need, well, maybe I'll make the user error sticker round. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. All right. So, ooh, I didn't even think about getting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So there, there you go. That's our show for you this week. Tech Talk Today 258 is in the can. If there's a story you didn't hear us talk about, we'd love your help at techtalktoday.reddit.com. Also, shout out to those of you who submit Kickstarters of the week there. That's often where I troll to get them. Thank you to the Mumble Room for joining us live. You can find out about that by joining our chat room and doing Bang Mumble. You get our Mumble server information and you can join that. We do some audio checks and then we'd like to get your input. You're part of our community, and this show is for our community. So find all of the live times and whatnot at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And also show events, news, release updates, things like that, at Jupiter Signal on Twitter. Anything else you want to cover? I think that covers most of it. All right. Well, then I leave you with another classic commercial because I've been on, I've been on a rash of these for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep finding other ones that I'm like, okay, i got to share this one. I have to share it. And this definitely falls into that category. I, I, hope it, I hope it doesn't get stuck in your ear. I hope it's not an earworm that makes you think of the show all week long. See you next week. It's the truth. Your principal can't smile, can't swim, can't rap, and I can't stand your school bus driver can drive, wears curlers, makes funny noises, won't try bubble tape. No way, Jose. Bubble tape, it's six feet of bubble gum for you, not them.